ready for some good news? For nothing will be impossible with God. Is that good news? So said the angel Gabriel, who stands in the presence of God when he gave Mary the message that she would be the mother of Jesus, God incarnate. Now, when I think about the angel Gabriel and what he has seen and experienced in God's presence, the light, the glory, the majesty, the splendor, the awe-inspiring, tree-twisting, rock-shattering, earth-shaking, life-changing power that Gabriel has seen go from the throne of God into human history, I'm inclined to believe Gabriel when he says, for with God, nothing is impossible. Now, if you too are inclined to take Gabriel at his word, to believe that nothing will be impossible with God from right now in this moment into your future. What do you want to be possible in your life? Fill in the blank. Lord, I want to be what? And I'm not thinking so much here in your professional world like I want to be an astronaut or I want to be president of the United States. You won't even go there. I mean as a person on the inside. If nothing is impossible with God, who do you want to be? Maybe you've given up hope on yourself for being that thing. Don't do it. Don't give up hope. This morning, I am going to put a high hope before us, a high hope that you and I can be righteous and blameless before the Lord because of the the keeping power of God, we can be righteous and blameless before the Lord. That's what we're going to talk about this morning as we come to Luke chapter 1. You can look in your own Bibles or find it printed there in your bulletin. And as you look in the, the bulletin at the printed passage, it's not going to take you long to discover that I'm not going to just to cover all that I intended to cover, not even but John inspired me last week talking about Zachariah and Elizabeth and Mary. And so uh, I've just been mulling over that all week. What I was going to say won't be said. That's something new. Uh, pray from the Lord. So if you have your Bibles, your bulletins, stand with me as we hear read together the word of the living God from Zechariah, from Luke chapter 1, beginning in Verse 5 and reading through verse 7, this is the word of the living God. In the days of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah of the division of Abijah. And he had a wife from the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. And they were both righteous before God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and statutes of the Lord. But they had no child. Because Elizabeth was barren, and both were advanced in years. Let's pray together. Lord, thank you for your word. Just a little of it uh, is enough for us, sometimes more than we can comprehend. So we ask you now, Spirit of God, to be with us. Join now with this reading and hearing of your word. Bring the blessing that you promise when your word goes out. 
accompanied by your spirit, bring change, bring transformation, bring your kingdom through us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. Be seated. As you probably know, Luke was a doctor. And we can only imagine what it was like to be a doctor in days before you could take an x-ray or do an MRI or ask Google. Uh, You do know, don't you, that when your doctor goes out of the room for just a few minutes, he and she, they're just going to Google your symptoms. I'm kidding. I already took off the offering, thank the Lord. We have great, great doctors here Redeemer. Google probably asks them questions, but nevertheless, not true. For Luke's day, he had to diagnose by observation and investigation. And he says in the very beginning uh, of this gospel that he wrote that, that he investigated everything thoroughly so that Theophilus could know that everything about Jesus, this incredible story, is absolutely true. So Luke investigated the lives of Zachariah and Elizabeth, the parents of John, as we know John the Baptist. He conducted his interviews with those who knew Zachariah and Elizabeth or knew of them. And what did these people report to Luke? Look at verse 6. They were both righteous before God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and statutes of the Lord. Righteous and blameless. This couple did what was right. Without fault, they obeyed the commandments of the Lord. Now, when we hear that, it's almost like Dr. Luke has taken out his mallet and gone tap, 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 just below our little Protestant kneecaps. <laughs> and yep, sure enough, he struck a nerve. We react when we hear that someone was righteous and blameless. It sounds a little bit too works-oriented for us. And we say, no, one is righteous. No, not one. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. All our righteous acts are as filthy rags before the Lord. It's all true. That's our knee-jerk reaction. So we start looking for a chink in Zechariah and Elizabeth's righteousness and blamelessness. And we begin to speculate. Well, yeah, they obeyed, but they were probably just legalists. They probably didn't mean it in their heart. Well, they, they only did what they did for the praise of others and the recognition of others and to be superior to everybody else. Zechariah and Elizabeth, righteous and nameless. Because if we can somehow disqualify or disassemble their righteousness and their blamelessness, then we don't have to expect so much from ourselves, right? But what does the text say? It says, and they were righteous before God in the sight of God, with God looking at them, with his face shining on them, with them looking back up at God, Zechariah and Elizabeth were righteous and blameless. The theological word we use for this concept is quorum deo. Quorum deo. It just means in the presence of or before the face of God. And the late R.C. Sproul defines quorum deo like this. It's to live one's entire life in the presence of God, under the authority of God, 
and to the glory of God. It's a life that's open before God. It's a life in which all that is done is done to the Lord. It's a life lived by principle, not expediency, by humility, not defiance. It's a life lived under the tutelage of conscience that is held captive by the word of God. That's how Zechariah and Elizabeth lived their lives. Righteous and blameless before the Lord. For nothing is impossible with God. Never forget that the God of the Old Testament is gracious. Five times we read this in the Old Testament in Genesis, in Nehemiah, in Psalm, in Jonah, all of Scripture. The Pentateuch, the history book, the wisdom literature, and the prophetic writings, all of them say something similar to this. The Lord is gracious and merciful, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love. The Lord is good to all and his mercy is over all that he has made. Zechariah and Elizabeth experienced the grace and the mercy and the love of God so that they might be righteous and blameless for his purpose. They are to be unique in salvation history as the parents of John, the one who would prepare the way for Jesus, of John, the one of whom Jesus said, no greater man has ever been born ever than John. What kind of parents would they need to be? God graced this couple for this very special task. Yes, Zechariah and Elizabeth were righteous and obeyed God blamelessly, for nothing would be impossible with God. The same is true for Mary. Sometimes I find that in order to make sure that everyone knows that we believe that Mary was not sinless in order to make sure that we know that everybody knows that we know that Mary needed a Savior, we go to the other extreme and we devalue her. Now, we might not go so far as to make her the worst sinner possible, but we sure try to to bring her down to our level to make Mary common, to make Mary nothing special. Well, I'm thinking that we might need to rethink that. While Luke doesn't record here that Mary was righteous and blameless, as he did of Zechariah and Elizabeth, he does mention the grace of God in Mary's life. As John pointed out last week, when Gabriel comes to Mary, his greeting is, greeting, O favored one. The word favored, it's a verb. And it means to to cause to be the recipient of benefit, to bestow favor on, to favor highly, to bless. That's what Mary experienced. Favored, it's a form of the same Greek word used for grace. Mary has been graced by God. And as Gabriel speaks this word favor, it's a verb in the perfect passive tense. Now please, please, please. Follow along with this little grammar lesson because there is great hope for us in grammar. I know you didn't see that coming in eighth grade in language arts class, but remember this, with God, nothing is impossible. There's hope for us even in grammar, so please pay attention. The passive tense, which favorite is, is used by a writer, writer to describe a completed action in the past 
that produces a state of being in the present. So it's something that was completed in the past that makes a difference right now in the present when the writer is writing. So the present state of affairs for Mary is that the past grace of God has been at work in her until this moment. The grace of the Lord is at work in her in this moment so that she is able to respond to Gabriel's unbelievable, life-altering, world-changing, never-happened-before-and-will-never-happen-again message with this response. I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. Again, as John pointed out last week, you would have expected this to be the response from blameless, righteous Zechariah, the priest, and not from Mary, unless, unless God's grace was already at work in her. And it seems to me that this interaction with the angel, that Mary's no stranger to God's grace, that she's already familiar with following the Lord, with being his servant. I am the servant of the Lord, she says. Now, having said that, I also point out that the verb favored is in the passive form, which means that Mary was acted upon by the Lord. God chose to favor her. God chose to grace her. The choice was his, not Mary's. And since according to Scripture, we know that God made these choices, not only for Mary, but for us, before the foundation of the world, nothing in Mary. Nothing that she did, nothing that she said merited God's choice for her. It was just his gracious choice. He could have chosen anyone, but he chose Mary. And having chosen her, he graced her. And according to Gabriel's wording of the message that God gave him to deliver, God favored or graced Mary in the past in order to keep her for the present moment. When did Mary first experience God's grace? No way I can answer that question. Was it for a lifetime as it had been for Zachariah and Elizabeth? I don't know. But why wouldn't our gracious, loving, heavenly Father keep Mary for all of her life to prepare her for this moment? To prepare her be the mother of Jesus, to prepare her for those heart-breaking, soul-piercing moments that are yet to come in her life. Is that not what God does? Almost every single week, I conclude this service with this benediction, these good words. I'm going to ask you to fill in the blank. Now unto him who is able to keep, keep you from falling. God has the power to keep you from falling, for nothing is impossible with God. That's why we can have such hope when we look at the lives of Zachariah and Elizabeth and Mary. We have hope in God's gracious power to keep us. God doesn't just pick us up and put us back together when we're broken by sin. Though praise his name, he does that, but he also keeps us. He keeps us from falling. 
John Donne's Scotus lived from around 17, from 1265 to 1308, it's been a long time ago. He's considered one of the most important and influential philosophers and theologians of the Middle Ages. And he compared being saved to walking down a path and falling suddenly into a 20-foot ditch, which you did not see. When you fall in that ditch, you must be saved. Someone has to throw you a rope and pull you out of that ditch. But he also points out that if someone were to warn you ahead of time that there was a ditch ahead, that too would be saving you from sin. You were kept from falling now unto him who is able to keep you from falling. Of course, we thank God when he pulls us out, when we fall, for forgiving us, for putting us back together, for using us. And I don't know about you, but I would rather avoid all the bumps and the bruises and the breaks that come from falling into sin. I would rather not deal with all the rebound time and all the rebuilding that has to be done in my life as a result of sin. I would rather be kept by God. I would rather lead a right life before Him. I would rather walk blamelessly before the Lord. And these verses give us hope. We can set the bar high for ourselves and for our lives because you know what? For nothing will be impossible with God. The grace of God kept Zechariah. The grace of God kept Elizabeth. The grace of God kept Mary, the grace of God can keep you and keep me as well. I want to bless you with high hope from these verses. Psalm 121. He who keeps you will not slumber. Behold, he who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord is your keeper. The Lord will keep you from all evil. He will keep your life. The Lord will keep your going out and your coming in from this time forth and forevermore. Is that good news? The word keep is to protect, to preserve. God gives us a picture of what that looks like. Once again, I'm going to ask you to fill in the blank of this very well-known verse, especially at this time of year. And there were in the same country shepherds abiding in the field, keeping watch over their flocks by night. Shepherds don't slumber. Shepherds don't sleep. They stay awake. They watch. They protect. They guard every sheep and every lamb entrusted into their care. Jesus, your good shepherd, my good shepherd is able to keep us from falling, to keep us from sinning, to keep us from error, to present us faultless before the presence of his glory. Number six. The Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to Aaron and his sons, the priests, saying, Thus you shall bless, bless the people of Israel. You shall say to them, the Lord bless you and keep you. 
The Lord can and will keep you, for nothing is impossible with God. And that's why David prays in Psalm 19, keep your servant from presumptuous sins. Let them not have dominion over me. Then, when you keep me, Lord, I shall be blameless and innocent of great transgression. The Lord can keep us from sin. How does he do it? We're back to Zechariah and Elizabeth and Mary. He does it through his grace. Jot this one down. You hear me read it often. Titus chapter 2. Titus chapter 2, verses 11 through 14. For the grace of God has appeared. That's the person of Christ. The grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people. It teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age while we wait for the blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all wickedness and to purify for himself a people that are his very own, eager to do what is good. The grace of God. Zechariah and Elizabeth and Mary received special acts of God's grace for a special purpose. But you and I, you and I are the constant recipients of God's grace. He's lavished it on us through faith in Christ. Applied to us the indwelling power of his own Holy Spirit. How much more righteous and blameless then can you and I be? God gives us his grace so that we can say no to sin and ungodliness and worldly passions. You think it cannot be in your life. Sometimes I think it cannot be in my life. But God says it can be, for nothing is impossible with God. We often want the grace of God just to forgive us when we do sin instead of preserving us and keeping us from sinning. What does the Apostle Paul write in Romans chapter 6? What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means! Exclamation point. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. What then? Are we to sin because we are not under the law but under the grace? By no means! Exclamation point. We need God's grace to forgive us. Yes, but we also have God's grace to preserve us and to keep us. Zechariah, Elizabeth, Mary, inspire us for what can be true for us since nothing is impossible with God. So set it as a goal. Set it as a goal. Set it as a goal. That by God's grace, you will live a life of righteousness. Have as a goal to be blameless before the Lord. For nothing is impossible with God. So have hope. Don't give up on yourself. Neither should you let yourself off the hook so easily. God has high expectations for you and for me. What might the Lord be keeping you for? What might the Lord be keeping me for? Zachariah didn't know. Elizabeth didn't know. 
At their advanced age, they may not have expected for God to use them for anything special, but surprise, he did. He had John for them. They would have to parent this very special child, so by his grace, God kept them. And for their part, they sought to obey, to say no to ungodliness, to live lives of righteousness before him. Mary didn't know at her young age that the Lord would use her, but surprise, he did. God had Jesus for her. And by his grace, he kept her to be the mother for his very own son. Look at how God uses those he keeps. I say it's worth praying for God's grace to keep us. Don't you agree? Who knows what special work God may have for us. And I am not talking about your past right now. I know where everybody's mind is going. Whatever that past was, I'm not talking about that. If you're a believer in Christ, if you brought that to the Lord, it's forgiven, it's forgotten, it's buried. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about this moment right now, this one right now, and your future. Oh, you who have been saved by the grace of God. I'm talking to myself. I'm talking about what you and I can be from this moment on. I'm saying that we should set a high bar for ourselves because God has given us the grace to do it and he's called us to it. He's called us to righteousness. I'm saying that we ought to pray along with David. Lord, keep me, your servant, from sin. Let them not have dominion over me. Then I shall be blameless and innocent of great transgression. Philippians 2 holds out the possibility that you and I can be blameless and pure. Blameless and pure children of God in this wicked and perverse generation in which we shine like stars in the universe. Can you believe it? God says it's possible. And for God, nothing is impossible. We, as individuals, you and I, together as a church, Redeemer Presbyterian Church, need to be blameless and righteous. Righteous. We don't need to be one like the world in order to reach the world. We don't. We don't have to be like the world to reach the world. Jesus said so. We need to be other than the world because our our world has lost its way. Have you noticed? I look at 2020 and I go back to when Christ was born. People walking in darkness, living in the shadow of death. That is our world. People are walking in darkness. They need to, to, to see the grace of God. They need to see what the grace of God can do. And they need to see it in our lives. They need to see how God's grace can make us different. They need to see how God's grace can make us better than we could ever be on our own. They need to see how God uses grace-filled people who strive to do what is right, who strive to do it God's way. They need to see us doing beautiful things in this world, like acting justly and loving mercy in this world. So since nothing is impossible with God, for Jesus' sake, 
and for the growth of this beautiful kingdom that he came to establish in this world that he loves. Let's be the best that we can be, the best his grace can make us. Have that hope for yourself. God can do it. Have that hope for others. Set the bar high for yourself. And listen, do this. Challenge your brothers and sisters to reach it with you. Let's lift one another up toward higher ground instead of bringing each other down by God's grace. Together, let's strive to be righteous and blameless as we live our lives before the face of God. Cordale and others. For nothing will be impossible with God. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we are amazed by your grace. I suppose that's why we sing that song so often, amazing in grace. Lord, amazing to us. What your grace does in us and through us and for us where we can't even imagine being righteous and blameless before you because so often we're not those things. Because so often, Lord, our lives look just like everybody else's life around us. It's okay to go where they go. Lord, too often we do what they do. There's no differentiating uh, our lives from theirs. So Lord, forgive us for that and then grace us. Lord, what possibilities that are ours through your grace and by your keeping power. What things, Lord, for your kingdom do you have for those who commit themselves to this higher call to live a life of righteousness and blamelessness before you? Truly, Lord, we can only imagine. But we pray that you would surprise us, surprise didn't think I would use you, but I'm going to. Lord, how we long for that in our lives. So we pray now that we would take you at your word. We would believe Gabriel, who stands in your presence. Seeing your power and your might, Lord, help us to believe that it's possible for us. And because we believe, Lord, to cry out to you, to ask you for the things that you promised us. Pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Yeah.